Welcome to the Birth Nurses Podcast. I'm Shana Brickner from Preparented, and I'm joined by my co-host Liz Baker-Wade from Birth and Beyond in Santa Monica, and we are the Birth Nurses. In this podcast, we're going to talk about birth, babies, breastfeeding, nursing practice, and more from our perspective as nurses in the hospital world. From two women who have been on both sides of the birthing bed, we've got some things to talk about that will enhance your understanding of birth. Whether you're a newly pregnant, first-time parent, or expecting your second baby and you want a better experience this time around, this podcast is for you. Join me and my co-host and special guests as we discuss birth from the womb to the room. We're back. Hi. Episode 10. It's exciting. Yes, it is. We're moving along. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. Mother of a 12-week-old. Yeah. You know, and it's nighttime. Three kids is is something. <laughs> and here I was whining about doing our podcast at nine thirty at night, and you have put three children in it. <laughs> but but you're comfortable with night shift, like you did that for twenty years. So I think you know what I did it from nineteen eighty five to two thousand five. Oh my my god! But then when I went to day shift. I became such a baby about, you know, <laughs> if I'm not in bed at 9.30, I'm whining. Well, yeah, because when you're in day shift, you have to wake up super early, and yeah, that makes sense. I just, sli- I just think my baseline was exhausted for so many years that I just right. got used to that. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's baseline. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're going to talk about um, some things having to do with restrictions and labor, yeah. which came up because of a conversation that you and I have. That's right. Yeah. So first of all, I want to give a shout out to this organization called Bundle Birth. Um, And there's like a separate kind of shoot off of that called Bundle Birth Nurses. And I follow them on Instagram. They're so awesome. It's a community mainly made up of labor and delivery nurses. Some OBGYNs, some doulas, some midwives all follow Mm -hmm. this account and... um, and the main nurse, Justine, uh, she she puts up these polls and questions and just asks other labor and delivery nurses what their experience is like at their particular hospital. And some of these nurses um, say that, like, they're just unfamiliar with a lot of practices in labor and delivery that we should be utilizing with our patients so something it's amazing, as yeah, isn't it? yeah yeah something as simple as like getting your patient up to go to the bathroom, they right. would just say like no I'll, I'll give them a, a bedpan to use. Oh, I can't even imagine it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. just trying to like break the mold and like break the the stereotypes that you're not allowed to do certain things. That word comes up a lot, labor, doesn't it? Allowed. Yeah. Yeah. I think that. Um, I've been doing this a really long time, 30 years, and I've had a lot of friends who've moved to other uh, cities and some other countries. And of course, you and I both have traveling nurse friends who've gone out to Guam and to New Zealand and to Bahrain. And like, there's a lot of people that have traveled. And when I hear about practices in other states, sometimes I get really envious, Mm. birth you know, pools right. and singing bowls and aromatherapy. Yeah. And then sometimes I'm horrified and, and surprised yeah. about the restrictive nature 
So um, exactly. it really has so much to do with the, uh, probably something to do with how nurses drive policy and procedure and standard of care. Mm-hmm. And of course, I don't want to get political. Well, yes, I do, but I won't. <laughs> but um, we really have a lot to do with setting policy and for driving our obstetrical, our OB committees and moving things forward. Like at our hospital where Shana and I work, um, one of our nurses was really res- the one responsible for getting nitrous oxide. And we were, I think, the first or among the first hospitals in Southern California to be using nitrous, yeah. which has been used in you know, Scandinavia and Europe for 30 years. Um, no reason not to have it. So things like that, mm-hmm. uh, mobility, using birth balls, all of those things. When we talk about restrictions, we're wondering where or who is imposing those restrictions on the patient. Right. Sometimes it's just a fable that they're hearing, right? Just rumor. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes Yeah, they're a friend think, of a friend, whatever. Like, Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I wasn't allowed to do this. Right. So we'll talk a little bit about the circumstances where laboring women might be restricted needs to be in terms of what's happening with the fetal heart rate tracing. Yes. Their health. Yeah, we do have policies and procedures in place um, guiding our practice. I think, mm-hmm. you know, patients feel these restrictions, but the nurses mm-hmm. can feel them too. I'm just like, well, the doctor told me to do this, this, and this, or the policy says I have to do this, this, and this, but um, there is sometimes some more flexibility than... And room for negotiation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love it when novice nurses, you know, they have an aha moment. It's Mm -hmm. like, oh, that nurse is letting, and I'm using quotes, air quotes here, folks, letting her patient do this, this, and this. It's like, (laughs) well, this does not go out of my standard of care. Right. My patient is safe. The fetal heart rate tracing isn't within normal limits. We call that reassuring in the OB world. Um, Her blood pressure is normal. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Um... Why can't she walk around? Yeah, low-risk pregnancy. Everything is looking fine on the fetal monitor. You're right. Yeah. We want the nurses out there and the patients to know that we encourage movement and motion Mm -hmm. and position changes and that we understand that that is optimal fetal positioning. Optimal fetal positioning is the thing right now. Those things, moving around, letting gravity work with you, those things are going to facilitate physiological birth which is the kind of i'm using air quotes now too the normal birth that we think of like oh she had a beautiful vaginal delivery and she didn't have to be on her back the whole time while pushing it's like yeah because this is the the physiological like natural way that women are supposed to give birth you know i'll speak to that a little bit i have probably pushed with patients and done deliveries in almost every position other than hanging upside down. (laughs) Um, We're pushing more and more for doctors to be more comfortable Mm. with hands and knees, vaginal birth. Absolutely. Yes. Side lying and so on and so forth. Sometimes it's true. We are accommodating physicians, Mm. obstetricians, wants and needs and what they're comfortable with. And more physicians are getting more comfortable 
with doing things differently. And in order to be able to serve our patients, we also as nurses are obligated to, you know, gently push our OBs into going outside their comfort zone also. It's easier to do with sometimes newer doctors. And then just recently, I've noticed that some of our, you know, doctors that have been around 10, 15, 20 years are more willing because patients are saying, look, this just isn't even comfortable. Right. Furthermore, sometimes flat on your back works. That's true. Oh, I'm just going to catch yeah. you know what for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm telling you, sometimes it's, I've, we've been hands and knees, we've been left side, right side, we've been squat bar and... When she gets down on that, you know, on her back with her knees back, voila, baby, what can I say? Right. So part of it is what works, what's comfortable, what's doing the job, Mm -hmm. right? But the point of your last story was that it was the patient who decided that being on her back was the more comfortable thing or the more effective way to push. It was productive. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So we're, uh, we're... working together with our patients to share these decisions that we're making um, and and making it a conversation and not just, you have to do it this way. We're not the dictators. We're not the uh, whatever. We're not your parents like telling you what to, to I'm do. I'm sitting here looking at you, actually, <laughs> while we're talking. Um, I can't even remember the last time it even occurred to me to say something like that to a patient. Right. You I mean, have the conversation to do it this would be, way. why can't I stand and walk? Well, in this standard of care, mm-hmm. the fetal heart rate tracing isn't reassuring at this moment. But right. we'll, we could, we, that might change. And when that changes mm-hmm. for a certain period of time, you can get right back up again. Right. And we're like, let's right. wait and see. Let's, let's make sure that baby's getting enough yeah. oxygen. And we'll see in a little bit if it would make sense or if it would be okay for you to get up right. and walk around. I think that we have to remind our um, nurses and our moms that are listening to this podcast that when we say things like baby not getting enough oxygen, we always look at the fetal heart rate tracing because the fetal heart rate tracing in and of itself communicates fetal well-being. Right. And we interpret that as a well-oxygenated fetus. Mm -hmm. It's pretty simple. So... A more experienced nurse might be looking at the heart rate tracing and making determinations. If this baby were born right now, it would be fine. The good news is that babies have reserve. Yes. And we've talked about that in earlier podcasts. And they can tolerate a lot of shenanigans in there. (laughs) That's why I might say to my patient, let me give you a little bit of fluid. Let me change your position. Let's let this baby wake up a little bit. And then we'll revisit you roaming around or getting on your ball or getting in the shower. And if put that way and not made it to sound like I'm strapping you to the bed Mm -hmm. or somebody else is rolling their eyes at me, the patient is much more receptive to, okay, this doesn't sound like something bad's happening. I'm just going to roll with this for a half an hour. Right. Like, I'm just saying for the next 20 minutes, let me have my way and then we'll revisit this conversation again. Sometimes it's just the way you put it. But of course, there are those conditions that warrant you to be more restricted in labor. For instance, if you have severe hypertension, yep. preeclampsia, we want the lights dimmer, we want music down, we want to um, try to keep your central nervous system nice and relaxed. Yes. We don't want you roaming around if you're being treated for preeclampsia. Mm-hmm. 
right? We don't want you to mean an excessive amount of pain. So that would be a reason to be uh, restrictive. Yeah. So fetal heart rate tracing, blood pressure, those are things that are safety measures for mother and baby. Yeah. Yeah, and we haven't even gotten into like antepartum patients. So patients who aren't in labor yet, it's before their due date, usually by several weeks, but they're Mm -hmm. at the hospital for maybe a short cervix or maybe like, what other reasons? Low amniotic fluid, perhaps. So Rupture of the membranes. Rupture of the membranes, but they're like 32 weeks. So, yeah, that's a totally different story of having certain restrictions to make sure baby stays inside and and mom doesn't go into labor. Um, But speaking for the the low-risk pregnant lady at the hospital um, in spontaneous labor, uh, fetal heart rate tracing looks reassuring. Uh, I think we can... We can lift the idea of having too many restrictions on that type of patient. So moral of our story (laughs) here, your nurse should be giving you all of the options for mobility and movement Mm -hmm. and motion, Mm -hmm. helping you alleviate back pain, helping you alleviate nausea, helping you with discomfort. Yeah. Encouraging you to empty your bladder frequently. Um, I was telling uh, Shana that I had a patient who wanted to use the bedpan. And she said, I just don't want to get up and go to the bathroom. And I said, no way. Right. This was <laughs> after delivery. Or during no, during no, labor? No. Labor. Oh. In labor. She did not have an epidural. She said, I just, I don't want to get up every 15 minutes. I said, no, no, no. You and I have two have different to objectives empty here. Your bladder. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You need to empty your bladder, and you need to get out of that bed. Yes. Sometimes the challenge is extracting my patient out of the bed. <laughs> Seems like, like the opposite thing. Yeah. Uh-huh, completely the opposite. <laughs> um, so most of the time, we are motivated to do that. So if you're in an area, you know, of the country, or if you are a nurse that is concerned. You need to find those more experienced nurses mm-hmm. and say, okay, I've been listening. I've been reading. I really think that we need to start getting our patients out of bed more. Mm-hmm. This is not what's going on in other parts of the country. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. how we That's how we make a shift. I've learned things from travelers. Me too. Do you, weren't you guys and I just, I, uh, so for our audience out there, there's something called head hose and they're anti-embolism stockings. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. They Putting are the hardest thing. It's like, it's, it's like a full blown on. sweat, like you're wrestling an alligator <laughs> because they're so tight. Yeah, they're right. <laughs> it's miserable. I mean, I every time the doctor orders Ted hose, I want to shoot myself. Right. It's the most awful thing. Just recently, I am 61 years old. I've been doing this for 31 years. Okay, this labor and delivery <laughs> nursing traveler says, you know, if you put a plastic baggie on her foot, this slide right on, <laughs> and it's like your head blows up. Like what? <laughs> What have I been doing like, all the these years? Sweating. Like, why didn't anybody tell me that? I, I so I'm like, do you guys know that? And the younger nurse is like, yeah, yeah, of course. And you're like, oh. 
which completely cracked me up. I thought, yeah. huh, what do you know? Yeah, there's lots but of little tips and so... tricks that are, you know, <laughs> other people like... find out. And it's kind of like the game of telephone. Like, it just passes around. Oh, my you're gosh. You're like, why haven't I heard this? Yeah. Why have... Yeah, spread the news, folks. Mm-hmm. If you have tips and tricks for your fellow nurses, yes. don't keep them to yourselves. Yes. We love to share stuff to make things easier. That's but right. talk to your more experienced nurses, talk to your OB committees about changing the narrative in your labor and delivery unit, Mm -hmm. using birth balls, optimal fetal positioning, walking, swaying, hip squeeze, all of that vocabulary should Mm -hmm. be part of the conversation in labor and delivery. Yep. Yeah. Instead of saying, am I allowed to do such and such? Say, I would like to do this. Is that okay? State your claim. I'd like to get up. Mm-hmm. If it's not out of the standard of care, I'd like to get up in a rocking chair. Yeah. I'd like to sit on the birth ball. Yeah. I'd like to move around. Yeah. We were talking about wireless monitoring. And where Shana and I work here in Santa Monica, we've been very, very fortunate. So shout out to Foundation who helped us out um, with, uh, I think almost every room now has wireless fetal monitors. It's so This amazing. is. Ah, yeah. The angels are singing. Now our this patients just can is. actually like move around more yeah. freely while being I love monitored. when patients say to me, can I, um, and I say, here, I'm going to tell you what, you can do whatever you want in here. <laughs> as long as I can see the baby on the field of heart rate monitoring most of the time and it's reassuring, whatever you're doing here right. is your business. Go brush your teeth. You get up, you, go, walk, yeah. you can go get in the shower, <laughs> you can do whatever you want. And they look astonished. So awesome. It's like, this is, yeah, that's all I need right now. Yeah. If you want to take a shower and you have an IV, let me wrap it up in some plastic. That's all I ask. Mm-hmm. Other than that, <laughs> you can do whatever you want. <laughs> so that's one of the really nice things. Yeah. So if you're out there and you're in um, uh, labor and delivering nurses, you know, push your OB committees to spend some money on wireless monitoring. It's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Most uh, of yeah, and I think it just takes, like, just takes a conversation and bringing it up because some mm-hmm. OBGYNs or whoever in leadership, like they're just not thinking about those things. But if you have an idea, bring it up. Maybe they just haven't, you know, gone down that road of thinking about that specific thing. But Mm -hmm. um, I think the cool thing about nursing is that it's a science and an art. Like, you know, the the um, person who loves lists in me (laughs) I like that nursing has like yeah follow this follow this formula and then you'll get this Mm -hmm. result but the the art form about it is that it it can be different for every single patient that you meet um yeah and I love that my patient's hypertensive so she's not going to be running around the room but she can sit in a rocking chair with her Mm -hmm. feet up Mm -hmm. in relaxed position yeah I think I'm always reminding myself, like, look at the patient, talk to the patient, and asking the patient, how are you feeling right now? Even if vital signs say something else, even if, you know, the textbook would say something else, maybe the patient, maybe it's a misfire with the blood pressure cuff and it's, it's wonky and the patient is looking fine. Um, So... That's what I love. And that our... I think it's nice to be able to just be creative Mm -hmm. and know that really all evidence, all literature suggests that patients that are up and moving and using birth balls and dancing and swaying and lunging 
do better than people that are restricted in bed. And if you're in a hospital that those restrictions are taking place, then we encourage you to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. And even emotionally, how that would affect you to know like no one was like keeping you bound to your bed or, you know, keeping you restricted, that you had that freedom and that's going to completely change your outlook on or your perspective on your birth story if you can look back and be like wow I had the power I had the you know the authority over my own body and over myself to walk around to not have IV fluids running the whole time to ask for an alternative uh, remedy for my nausea Maybe your nurse had some essential oils around or you had essential oils that helped with your nausea. Love it. So, Love it. Yeah, absolutely true. In birth class, we talk about starting an IV, but that doesn't mean you have to have IV fluid running. That means putting uh, some kind of catheter in your arm in case of. That's usually encouraged. Mm -hmm. I do have patients that have had several babies who come in and say, I don't want any of that. I'm not having any of it. And, and you do have agency over your own body and you do have right to refuse, but it is um, pretty much standard. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean you have to walk around with an IV pole. Right. Sometimes I don't start IV fluid until right before the baby's born or right after. Mm-hmm. And um, patients drinking and staying hydrated, the fetal heart rate pacing looks nice mm-hmm. and nobody's spiking a temperature. Even even something like eating lightly and drinking, eating and drinking in labor. Five years ago, that would have been unheard of. Right. It's like, people are like, can I eat? And I'm like, yeah. I you don't think, have an yeah. epidural and you yeah. don't have any problems and I'm not worried about preeclampsia or anything. You can do what you want. Yeah. I think I that's think the main even concern. with epidurals, that's yeah. changing a little bit. Yeah. 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 I think that's the main yeah. concern for women going into labor and delivery. They're like, well, I'm not going to eat for two days. So I need to yeah. eat my last supper, you know, right. tonight before. But it's, there yeah, are it's not so much like that where anymore. you're not going to be able to eat. Yeah, right. absolutely. But, um, that's changing also. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely seeing a shift in people being to uh, take more nutrition during labor. Yeah. And also the thing is, which I think people forget, is that in early labor, you'll probably probably be hungry and and want to eat. And you should because you're about to like run a marathon of being in labor. But when you're Mm -hmm. in active labor, you're not really thinking about food. You're not really hungry. So I think people forget. They're like, well, I'm not going to be able to eat. But it's like, well, you're not going to really want to eat until after yeah, you deliver. I, I haven't seen that many people in the throes of, you know, serious, hard, yeah, functional labor, you know, where they're seven, eight, nine centimeters saying, I need to eat a sandwich in between. No. I mean, sometimes a little snacky thing, but I don't see that many people yeah. eating meals in yeah. that phase of labor. You're not thinking about it because your body's working so hard. Yeah. To get a baby out, you're not thinking, like, I need to put food in. <laughs> so. I say in class that, um, you know, if you're in the throes of labor, don't hammer down a double-double on your way to the hospital. Because <laughs> right. I'm going to see it again. Oh, gross. <laughs> gross. Right? Right around transitional labor. It's like, yeah. really? Was that necessary for you to eat pizza before you came here? Right. So if you're going to eat in labor, 
Easy to break down pork proteins. Mm-hmm. Small, easily digested yeah, meals. Little snacks. <laughs> easier, easier on the, easier on the bod. Exactly. Digesting. <laughs> so I hope we've dispelled some myths mm-hmm. about uh, restrictions, and we've made you guys feel better about asking and talking about some of the things you want to do. And if your nurse seems trepidatious, she seems unsure of herself or concerned, you could say. You know what? Why don't you ask somebody else? Because I really want to get out of bed. Mm-hmm. I'm not ill. I'm just in labor, mm-hmm. and I want to move around. So how can we make that happen? Even if there's not wireless monitors, right? Those monitors are six, seven feet long. You can yep. still be on a birth ball or in a rocking chair or moving around and swaying and lunging. Exactly. Um, you've got you know you're not tethered uh, six inches away from the monitor, so. Ask those questions, put them in their birth plans, talk to your nurses, and remember there's some very specific reasons for restrictions in labor, but if you're not uh, having a worrisome fetal heart rate tracing or you're not severely hypertensive, you should really be able to move around. Of course, you have an epidural. Most of the time that means you are going to be in bed for the duration, which is one of the reasons why Shannon and I talk about trying to... uh, Hold that epidural off, Mm -hmm. you know, even if you're planning one, as long as possible, because that does sort of put the kibosh on uh, mobility. Yeah. Once again, I I want to, yeah, I want to just give a shout out to Bundle Birth Nurses. I think they're doing such a great job uh, educating nurses, because Mm -hmm. a lot of times, like, we don't get this uh, training before Mm -hmm. being a labor and delivery nurse about, like, hormones and like doing all these stretches and things to loosen up the ligaments yeah, we get the, the didactic and it's like, yeah. yeah we get the physiology we get the physiology mm-hmm. the nuances of being a nurse of any kind yeah when i started out as a liver transplant nurse at ucla in the mid 80s first of all i was terrified <laughs> and then i went you know i thought uh, oh i'll go to labor and delivery i'm a little burned out it's been five years and I didn't realize how terrified I'd be there for a year, mm-hmm. <laughs> at least. Yeah, but, totally. Um, those nurses taught me how to be a nurse. In yes. nursing school, I learned kind of how to be a nurse. The theory, the, yeah. It's, the- yes. You, you, when you get down in the trenches with an experienced nurse oh. who's like, yeah, yeah, I know it. You, you know. And it's the same thing in labor and delivery. You will learn in that environment. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to reassure you, but that most units have a skill mix of experienced and more novice nurses. Yep. So there's always somebody to ask. You feel like you're not getting the answers you need or your nurse, like I said, feels uh, insecure Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. giving you freedoms. Ask her to weigh in with some other people or the OB. Yep. I think it's a good idea. Same. like it. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope that was helpful. Stay tuned for our next episode. Bye. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Birth Nurses Podcast. If you enjoyed this, there are a few ways you can support us. First, you can share this podcast with your pregnant friends or new moms. Secondly, you can write a review and rate us on iTunes. And thirdly, we would love if you would check out our Instagram accounts and websites. I'm on Instagram as Preparented, 
and online www.preparented.com. And Liz is on Instagram as birthnurseliz and her website is birthandbeyond.net. Thanks for listening.